0: God says when the troubles come, He said, Fight! You can't fight, He said, Withstand! You can't withstand, He said, Stand! What does it mean to stand? He said, Don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, Don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church soul-winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful
1: Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it
0: just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given.
1: You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book.
0: Why
2: does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast
0: with, and our granddaddy did it like that, let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different
1: are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for
0: joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist.
2: Hello and welcome. My name is David Baker. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. We're glad that you're here. I am honored today to have a guest interview with Dr. Tom Wallace. So uh, great to have him. He's uh, preached for us for years and uh, delightful and we love his sermons, love his mind. So much uh, depth goes into it. Uh, The outline this morning was just amazing, Sunday school and preaching, and then tonight he's preaching for us again, and so I asked him if I could interview him for this. Uh, He's been around a little while, so uh, Doc, how many years young are you? Uh, I'll be 93 in about 24 days. 93 in 24 days. Can you imagine? 93. So how many years have you been preaching? been preaching for 73 years. (laughs) 73. I've said this often, boy, I I would love to one- once even just make it his age, but then to have half of the mind and width that he has uh, that age is just amazing. It's been a great, great blessing and a friend of the wisdom and years and advice and all that. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I'm looking forward to it. So um, Doc, tell us um, just quickly, salvation, how you got saved, uh, your call to preach and uh, where you got trained at. Uh,
1: when I was uh, 20 years old, my mother-in-law Um, insisted that I join the First Baptist Church of Kennedy Square, Pennsylvania, before I married her daughter. (laughs) And and so I went with my fiancé to visit with the preacher about it. I was uh, willing to cooperate. And uh, the uh, fellow was a liberal out of the uh, seminary in Philadelphia for the Northern Baptist Convention at that time. And he, uh, it's called Eastern Baptist Seminary, and uh, he, uh, he instructed me uh, that if I would come forward on Palm Sunday, there were four other fellows that he had lined up to come forward. He said, we do this once a year, and uh, you can uh, be baptized, and we'll incorporate you into the church, and that'll take care of it. Well, he was sitting there with his feet propped up on his desk with a pipe in his mouth. Mm. And then he instructed us that when once I was a member of the church, I might want to contribute a little bit. So he said, my wife and I give $2 a week. And he said, that'd be a good place for you to start. Well, every time I went to the church, I put a $5 bill in. So I thought, I'll just back off a little and join the preacher. Anyway, (laughs) uh, he took me into the congregation and baptized me into the water as a Dry center, and I came out a wet center, and wow. I thought that took care of it. Well, a little while later, at the General Motors plant where I worked, the fellow had been off to the Pine Brook Bible camp where Percy Crawford had a tremendous evangelistic ministry of radio and television and a Bible camp, and he'd gotten saved, and he came to work with me, and he started talking to me on the assembly line. He was putting door handles on, and I was working on the inside. And he was able to get the gospel to me. And I went home and covered up my head because I slept in a room with three brothers and didn't want them to see what I was doing. And I invited Christ to come into my heart. The next day, I went down to the plant and told him, I said, Ernie, his name was Ernie Haybacker. I said, Ernie, I did what you've been wanting me to do. He said, what'd you do? I said, well, I prayed. I didn't know how to talk about it. He said, "What'd you pray?" I said, "Well, I asked Jesus to come into my heart and save me." He said, "Did He do it?" I said, "Well, you said He would." He said, "No, no, I didn't say He would. The Bible says He would." Amen. And you know, when He said that, I, I he he kept following up on the fact that if the Bible says it, do you believe the Bible. And I soon realized that if the Bible said I was saved, I was going to believe it. Amen. And it cleared up all of a sudden. I realized I was saved and it started right there. Amen. So how long after that, uh, the call to preach, did
2: you feel like God was well, leading the he, ministry?
1: He, he spent five or six weeks grounding me, you know, doing follow-up work because we were right there on the line together mm-hmm. for eight hours, and he brought me along from zero wow. spirituality up to probably 25 or 30 percent of understanding. And uh, in the process of his talking to me, I got a very strong leading that I ought to forget about being a a General Motors executive and I would give all that up and I would go to Bible college and I talked with him about it and he told me the best thing he could do and I, I surrendered wow. and boy, I took off, sold my house, quit my job and went to Bible college <laughs> and oh, I'm convinced that I would be in my grave right now if I hadn't obeyed that leading. Wow. So
2: where did you go to college? and who I went to Tennessee
1: you? Temple University. It was I've not a university then. It. it was only a college. Dr. Lee Robertson had mm-hmm. things really going, and I hadn't no the morning got my feet on the ground till a fella by the name of M. J. Parker walked up to me and he said, uh, "You know, uh, we need bus captains, and you look like you would make a great bus captain." <laughs> and he enrolled me immediately, and he said, "Now we uh, we pay ten dollars a week to help you with your tuition and your." School expense. What? Well, who ever heard of paying a bus captain? But I got $10 a week, and that was like $100 a week now, of course. Yeah. But uh, he was uh, just a fabulous fellow. And we had about 20 buses going. And at that time, there were about maybe 25 or 30 chapels out 50 miles away. And the total count uh, was over 10,000 people coming wow. to church on Sunday in some of those places under the leadership of dr robertson and and i was right in the middle of it with my bus route and uh and, and i just really got the training that i went there i didn't realize that uh, i needed how to build a bus route and how to teach a sunday school class right. and how to have a prayer life and how to have a bible study program a lot more than i needed history and geography and literature wow that is beautiful
2: then you graduated, and uh, did you work on staff somewhere? Did you go around uh, I, to pastor? I
1: worked uh, worked on the staff there for Doctor Robertson for two years. Beautiful. And um, the uh, it, I had to uh, I had to to forget about making a living, and I didn't go down there to take a job because I had quit a good paying job. If I was right. going to work for a living, I would have stayed where I was. Sure. Uh, but um, uh, I decided the Lord wanted me to be a full time visitor for the church. And Dr. Robertson gave me a job and paid me $20 a week on top of that 10 And with that $30 a week, I went all the way through Bible College. Wow. Now, I had to have some miracles in order to do that. <laughs> but uh, the Lord sent the miracles that I needed, and it was just so beautiful. Do you, uh, you believe that God still works miracles today? Oh, uh, my. He, he, he does work miracles. Boy, <laughs> you know, uh, the uh, <laughs> the matter of of enough food to eat. You know, we had a little money. I made a little money on the house when I sold it. So we were able to pay movie expense, pay up the tuition for the first semester, okay. and rent an apartment and get moved in. And uh, I found a government house that had two bedrooms and the kitchen and everything, and all the utilities included, and my rent was $22 a month for everything. Wow. And so that basically was a miracle to start with, but it was normal in those days, and... My problem was that they, they set the amount of rent on the amount that's your income, and my income was only $30 a week. She told me, she said, almost everybody comes in here, makes too much money. They cannot rent one of these. But she said, you don't make enough.
2: <laughs> you don't make enough.
1: <laughs> but one day, uh, I went home to have lunch, and I told my wife, hurry and fix lunch because I need to go make my visits. I, I work four hours in the afternoon for the church. And she said, okay, I'll hurry and fix you some lunch if you'll hurry to the store and get me something to fix. Well, I told her, well, I'll hurry down to the store and get something to fix if you'll hurry and give me a little bit of money to get it with. She said, now, Tom, you know I don't have any money. And I said, well, that makes two of us. I, I don't have any either. She said, is our money all gone? I said, every penny of it. Wow. She said, what are we going to do? I said, well, I think we can play George Mueller. She so said, how do you play that? I said, well, I read in a library book over at the school that George Mueller prayed down millions of dollars worth of food and clothing for his orphans over in England. And I said, God has no respect for persons. And, and uh, so if he'll do it for George Mueller, he would do it for us. So so I sat out at the table and held her hand and we prayed. Mm-hmm. And while I was praying, somebody knocked on our door. And I said, excuse me, Lord, there's somebody at the door. So I got up went to the door. And the next door neighbor lady was cleaning out her cupboards. And she had two cans of tuna fish. And she said, we despise this. Would you like to have these? And we, oh, my, it looked like two big turkeys to me. We opened those and fixed some tuna fish salad. That evening, I went on a, a meeting that we were having along one of the bus routes. And uh, that little white-haired man, M.J. Parker, my bus director, came up and he said, Tom, could I get you to do something if you, uh, if I ask you to? And I said, sure, I, whatever you need to do, I'll do it. He said, I want you to go park your car at a certain place tomorrow, a certain street, a certain corner. I said, well, I, I know that corner. He said, uh, if you'll go down that little alley there, the first door on the left is a big metal door. Knock on that door. And he said, a little girl will stick her head out. Now, you... You smile and grin the best you can, and you tell her, I am Tom Wallace. And uh, let let me know how you make out. So I found the place. I knocked on the door. I told her who I was. She said, you wait right there. I'll be right back. And she brought me a paper plate filled with roast beef Mm. with hot brown gravy poured over top of it. The next one had another paper plate, and it had uh, some broccoli and cheese with cream with cheese poured over top of it and then the next one had mashed potatoes with hot gravy in the middle of it and the next one had banana roll a big great big uh, yeast rolls and the next one had banana pudding. and she handed me those five big plates and I took them out and put them on the car seat and drove them home and told my wife look what the lord sent (laughs) us today well we had enough for two meals Mm -hmm. and that evening I went on another meeting and that little guy came up to me again and Did you do what I asked you? And I said, I did. He said, how'd you make out? I said, listen, it was wonderful. And and I want to thank you. He said, how'd you like to do that again sometime? I said, boy, you name the time. I know the place already. (laughs) And so he said, well, why don't you go over there again tomorrow? I said, okay. And then the next day you can go and the next and the next. He said, in fact, you can go over there as many times as you want to from now on, seven days a week. I said, you're kidding. No, he wasn't kidding. I did that, would you guess? I did it seven Hundred times over two <laughs> solid years, wow. every day two meals—that'd be over fourteen hundred meals—in answer to one George Bueller prayer. <laughs> now that's a miracle. I'm, I'm
2: sure that's just a coincidence. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is beautiful. So
1: then you uh, pastored three churches. Where were those? At? Yes, I did. The uh, uh, they uh, called me to a church that my uh, fellow who had led me to Christ, Ernie Haybacker had uh, taken the church for one year. It was just a little handful of people meeting in a room in a house and uh, he had become their pastor and and he was a soul winner. So they began to grow and they were able to get a group together and they built a little 30 by 60 building, two stories, Hmm. beautiful red brick and one of the men who helped with the building got up and paid it off. He announced in the prayer meeting that he was going to pay off the mortgage. And so, and then uh, I went home to, uh, uh, you know, after I had graduated from school, I was uncertain about whether to go to seminary or not. And he wanted me to come to his house for lunch. So I went down to Haybackers to have lunch with him. And the phone rang while I was there. And uh, he came back after answering the phone and he said, looks like the Lord might want you to pastor my church. Hmm. He said, I have just accepted a call to Oklahoma City, and I'll be leaving. So uh, I'd like to recommend you. Now, I had graduated from school, uncertain about whether to go to seminary. I was kind of in limbo, and hmm. all of a sudden, the doors opened. Wow. And so I preached on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and they called me, and I accepted it Good. at about 35 people. Well, I didn't know anything about preaching. I could hardly (laughs) preach at all. And uh, they wanted a deeper life church rather than they wanted Mm -hmm. to be a, a, you know, just a, a group of happy, satisfied people. And they didn't care about the Great Commission and going out and win souls. And that's all I knew. Right. And so I got in there and started talking about getting some buses we were hauling people, and I'm going up and down the back road, winning people to Christ. The place was full of southern migrants mm-hmm. who had come to our area to work in the fence plants during the war. Wow. And there were about 10,000 families that had moved in there. Most of them had Baptist backgrounds. They were country people. Yeah. And here I was from West Virginia, knocking on doors. And then everybody there was Episcopalian or Catholic except those families. And I just went up and down the road, and I'd find them and find the other mm. people who come in and That church began to grow; we were up wow. over a hundred in no time and uh it wasn't long before we had a revival meeting, and we had two hundred and thirty four people saved in a one week meeting wow and Boy, I baptized fifty couples on one occasion <laughs> and forty five adults on the second occasion. And then we were all running, and we, I stayed there for 17 years. We grew to about 1,100 every Sunday with wow. radio broadcasts and buses and missionaries and everything that Fundamental Independent yeah. Baptists specialize in. Now, uh, all of the other churches around there are the guys that I knew before I went to Bible college. Uh, that fellow, Percy Crawford, had had that camp, started a college 13 miles from my house. It's called King's College, Hmm. and uh, my neighbor was a a professor at King's College, and he came over to convince me that it was silly for me to quit my job and sell my house and go away 730 miles to a college when I had one right down the road, and it was basically a Bible college, uh, but I couldn't get in peace about that. The Lord made it clear he wanted me to follow my plan. And over the years, I look back, all the guys that went down there turned into what I call deeper life preachers. Wow. Uh, They were all, uh, uh, you know, the idea they'd come in and sit down, fold their hands and say, feed me. Mm. And uh, they knew more Bible than I did. I couldn't feed them. But I noticed that 10 or 12, 15 guys that I knew around that area, pastor those churches, had 40 and 50 people in their congregation, while mine was running 1,000, 1,100, 1,200 wow. every Sunday. And we were sending missionaries. I was going to the hospital every day, running the bus route. Just had an aggressive outreach program. And so the Lord knew I needed to be exposed Amen. to fundamentalism at Highland Park Baptist under Dr. Robertson. Jack Hiles and John Rice and Lester Roloff mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. those, Harold Seitler, all those people were coming in as our speakers in chapel. And, boy, I got all fired up and went back and put it into practice. That's beautiful. So after that, God led you. Where did you go? Then I, 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 all of a sudden, the Lord wanted me to go to Louisville, Kentucky. Now, there was a Southern Baptist church over there that had begun to hire faculty members, or I mean staff members from Tennessee Temple, hmm. the song leader and the bus director and two or three other of the faculty and faculty members in their school, everybody had a Tennessee Temple background, and they changed that Southern Baptist Church wow. to a fundamental church within. And the pastor was an outstanding pulpiteer, but he wasn't a soul winner, and he wasn't a builder, but he he drew people in preaching with his skills and all. But then all of a sudden he just went bad and took off with one of the girls there, uh-huh. ran away and blew it and they started calling me want me to come mm. now they all of all the staff was already people right. that i could work with but i didn't want to go mm. i i wanted to live and die in in my church in elks and it was my everything that you know i had seen it sure. grow from nothing right. and uh, the lord wouldn't get off of it i mean it just would not go away and so i went over there and we had about 1200 every sunday mm. They had a beautiful place for me to live. They had a good salary. Everything was just tremendous. Uh, and uh, we started implementing the program that I knew. And I told them now I don't know how to be a Southern Baptist, and I don't need to, I don't want to be, don't right. know how to be. Uh, but I, I said, uh, i tell you what. Uh, I'm not a fighter. I, I wouldn't be cussing the convention, and I sure. wouldn't be cussing the, the big seminary across town because we have 107 Southern Baptist churches in our county wow. and only one or two fundamental independent Baptists. And I said, now, I, if I came here, we'd have to come out of the convention. And I told him I, I wouldn't want to pull out right away and hurt a lot of old people who are God's people. Yeah. But if you will let me have two years to get the people ready for it, and if we can agree now that we will come out in two years, I'll come. So we voted at 25 deacons, and we voted to come out in two years. And when we came time to do it, all we did was vote to mail the letter telling them that we were out. I told them, I don't want to vote out. I just want to vote to mail this letter, which says we're out. And they agreed to that. And we read that letter to the congregation and got a full vote. Wow. And so we were out. Well, all of a sudden it dried up. They, they began to accuse us of going into charismatic movement, you know, and they said we're false doctrines and we'd lost our mind and everything. Wow. So we got a lot of opposition from all the Southern Baptist churches in that area. But uh, uh, we we by that time, we were running thirty two, thirty three hundred 3,300 a wow. Sunday. And I was baptizing over 50, having over 100 professions every Sunday wow. because of the momentum that that church grew from 1,200 to 3,200, 3,300 in two years. Beautiful. So it was a fabulous, miraculous ministry. Hmm. Wow. And then you ended up in Tennessee. Well, yeah, I, I went out on the road. The Lord uh, the Lord just closed that door up there for me, and I went out on the road for six years, and I thought I'd retired, but I was busy. <laughs> I, one, once I left, I, I didn't have any meetings lined up except like some Monday and Tuesday conferences. Sure but I left home with my wife. We loaded up clothes and books and things of that nature and went out and I stayed out eight weeks. No, six weeks, I stayed out six weeks, came home for one night, went out six weeks, came home for one night and went out for six weeks. So I was out 18 weeks, two nights home. So it just seemed like this is what the Lord has for me. Mm. And it was just from one place right to another, having fabulous results. And then, all of a sudden, they wanted me to come to Franklin Road Baptist. And uh, uh, I, uh, you know, I was really excited about it. It was a one I'd been there several times before. Bob sure. Kelly was the pastor there. And he had done such a fantastic job mm-hmm. that I was honored. Dr. John Rice and Dr. Bill Rice were members there. Wow. And uh, um, uh, all of the Ron Comfort was a member there, and we had twenty-one preachers in in the <laughs> congregation. Doctor Tom Williams came and joined our church, and mm. and uh, we we just had preachers coming from all over who would come in for R and R from their church. You know, wow. they'd resign with some kind of problem, come spend the six months or a year, and then they would take another church. Beautiful. So we were sort of a a, a maybe a resting place, uh, rescuing. Fallen preachers or disappointed preachers. And at one time, I was preaching to twenty-one preachers when I got up to preach. Most of them could preach better than I could, but I was a pastor. What year did you
2: uh, take Franklin? I
1: went there in seventy-one. In seventy-one, and um, wow. and I and then I stayed there until uh, nineteen ninety. And um, and then uh, uh, when when the Lord uh, took him, took it away from me. Uh, and sent me out on the road, and then I went to Bob Kelly's, and when I got to Bob Kelly's, it was run about 1200 there, and it was sound and solid with all those preachers, and uh, I, st- I told them I will come for 10 years. I said, I'm going to be too old. I was 60 at the time, mm. and I said, when I get to be 70, I'm afraid I'll slow down. I won't be able to function as well, and so uh, I think I could do a fairly good job for about ten years, so I'm going to be looking for somebody to turn it over to. Right. And and if you can agree with that, uh, again we had about twenty five guys on the board there, and uh, I said now if we could agree to that I'll come, but if we don't agree, let's decide right now, because uh, I'm going to have a fight on my hands. Sure. And I don't want that, so let's uh, let's decide whether we can go that route. And everybody agreed we could, so we did, and. Uh, Dr. Mike Narr showed up uh, in our sights exactly nine years later, and I approached him about it and got advice and counsel from some people who said they thought he would do a fabulous job. Well, he had to kind of twist his arm because he didn't want to leave where he was. Right. But uh, we were able to get him to come, and he worked with me for one year, and then I just backed off, and it was his because the right. vote had been taken a year ahead of time to call him a good transition. So many times, as you know, those transitions don't work well. Yeah, we both there. had a year to, uh, to feel it out. I said, it, if it doesn't work good from your point of view or from my point of view, we'll have plenty of time yeah. to dissolve it before it starts. But it, it was a very, very gracious turnover. You know, it was pleasing and we had a beautiful uh, service where we uh, t- turned the mantle over to him. Beautiful. And uh, all the deacons came and, and lit uh, candles, you know, and carried the candles up and, and lit his candle. And and so uh, it, it was just a beautiful service. And, of course, he took hold and did a fabulous job. Amen. Still there, 30-some years. Yeah, he's right, still so. there, and I'm still there, too. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I travel all the time. I'm very seldom in the service. But it's interesting, we have a Laotian congregation. And uh, the little Laotian pastor that we have was a communist fighter pilot. He would, uh, uh, you know, he flew for Vietnam. But one morning he got up and fired up his jet and flew (laughs) it to Bangkok, Thailand and surrendered it to the U.S. government. Wow! They shipped him over to Nashville area as a refugee. And he got a job at Nissan Corporation. And he got saved. And his wife got saved. And then the Lord called him to preach. And he began to gather up Laotians, about 3,000 mm. of them around there. And he got a whole room full of them. And so we gave him a room and he decorated it with all kind of Oriental yeah. uh, curtains and things. And then uh, we started sending uh, one of our preachers up there and they would interpret uh, for him. And uh, after I went out on the road, he came to me and he said, he's kind of, uh, interesting little guy, he's only about four and a half feet tall. He said, Brother Wallace, when you in town, you come preach for us every Sunday you hear <laughs> so so I go up there. They have their main service at ten o'clock. Mm. And so I go up there at ten o'clock and preach till about ten fifty and then I go downstairs and join my wife for the eleven o'clock wow. main service and get to attend really our cool. church service and then I'm there at night. So that way I get to preach every Sunday. Wow. And I'm gone almost all the time, but when I'm home, I can preach for the Laotians.
2: That's beautiful.
1: Oh, it's a, a wonderful.
2: You've uh, pastored three churches, um, over a 1,000, and uh, traveled in evangelism for decades now and been, I'm sure, in hundreds of churches. So what do you see out there in uh, fundamentalism, good, bad, ugly? Um, what direction, what, what's good, what scares you? What do you see?
1: Well, you know, in, in my prime time, uh, Dr. Rice, Bob Jones Sr., and uh, Oliver B. Green and all were having these big citywide meetings. They would come, none of them would uh, come for less than a month or five weeks. I had Oliver Green come. He stayed five weeks with us. Wow. Now, that was a big thing, and they, they'd be big, big meetings. Uh, R.A. Tory would uh, go down into Australia and New Zealand and and uh, Moody would go over to England before Rice and before Isles and before Robertson and all these. And those fellows had these big mass meeting and have hundreds of people saved. But I noticed when we go to Australia and New Zealand, there were no churches. Hmm. And they were getting great big people saved, but they weren't starting any churches. Now, I noticed in, in my time, after I'd been at it for a good long time, I noticed that the Bible colleges, like Howell's Anderson and Tennessee Temple University, and even Bob Jones University in Odeh, and then the Springfield, Missouri crowd, and all these different, they were turning out preachers who were going out and starting churches. And somebody asked me, "Now compare today with back then." I said, "Well, I think we're as healthy now as we were then, because of these small. We got we got hundreds and hundreds of smaller churches." That have been started by people from Crown College and mm-hmm. from from uh, West Coast Baptist College, from Holland Anderson, from from the and then now we've got Jeff Fugate up in up in Lexington, okay. and these guys are all going out. They're finding some of these closed churches and reopening them. They're starting new churches, and I think as far as the number of people being affected and influenced, I believe we're reaching as many people as they did in those big mass meetings, mm. and we're winding up with churches to. To give them some background, some foundation, and uh, and the ones that are doing this are the fundamental independent Baptists, right? Because all of the seminary down in Dallas, Dallas Theological those fellows are teaching Bible teachers. Uh, they're not motivational preachers. They're not you know they can uh, they can give you something rich and and, and enjoyable, and and, and so uh, congregations are getting people in and feeding them and giving them Bible truths and got a lot of good, what we call Bible-centered type churches, but they're not carrying out the Great Commission. Now, uh, I've asked, you know, I got a lot of invitations because my churches all grew big. Right. I get a lot of invitations to go hold meetings at the pastor's fellowships. Hmm. Almost every state has two or three different fellowships going. And uh, the uh, Georgia has, I think nine different pastors' fellowships. Wow. Now, and they meet once a month. Now, once a year, they all get together and have about 200 preachers there. Hmm. And I've been to a lot of those meetings, and they said, Now, uh, come and tell us how to do it. And I said, Well, my formula is real simple. I've got two basic rules. One is carry out the Great Commission. Amen. And number two, is solve the problems that result from carrying out the Great Commission, <laughs> I said, because you start carrying out the Great Commission, your, your building's gonna get too small. Now you got to build a building, and now you got to raise some money, and then you're gonna have to have some music. So you got to get somebody, you got to find a piano player, you got to find a choir director. Then you got to train some teachers. Then you have a problem, and I said a lot of fellas get so busy solving the problems that they quit carrying wow. out the Great Commission, Good. and as a result, the Spirit of the Lord flies away and leaves them with a religious club. Mm. And we got religious clubs all over this nation wow. that are not carrying out the Great Commission. Now, if I carry out the Great Commission and don't teach uh, after I reach, it's a reach, teach, reach, teach, reach, and if I don't balance it, I'll gather up a bunch of people who are... Church of Christ and Seven Day Adventists and Church of God and their uh, Jehovah Witnesses all in there to hear me preach and we'll be fighting like a bunch of cats and dogs. Mm. So I've got to balance it out with reach and teach, reach and teach. And if I get heavy on one end of it, the seesaw won't work.
2: Wow. That's a great way to explain it. The Great Commission, and then fix all the problems created by the Great Commission, because you do. Uh, they come in with marriage problems. You've got to fix that. They come in with children problems. You've got to fix that. They yeah. come in with financial problems. You've got to help them with that. And The Bible has the answer to them, but that's a great, simple way. Yeah. But if you get too focused on fixing the problems and stop the Great Commission, right. you're going to be done. Boy, how many times does that happen? Just curious. I know 73 years of preaching, and um, just curious on this. I know in our day, the... The doctrines, the false doctrines we battle and fight and things there. And that's part of the reason for this podcast to push back on some of those issues and the direction that people are going. So what are the battles that uh, that you faced in fundamentalism? What were the direction churches were going and you were teaching, preaching, trying to help to keep things right? Did you guys have those?
1: Well, we've had, we've had to deal with several issues. We have to deal with, the, first of all, the music problem. That one wants to go contemporary with the music yeah. because it entertains the flesh and draws people in who want to be entertained. Uh, Bill Heibel and and uh, all those people, you know, right. went that route, and then most of them confessed that they made a bad mistake because their people were shallow. And, <laughs> they did. And they, they wrote the book. And, yeah, and yeah they that. did. We, what and we did did our work. The problems of alien baptisms always come up, you know, and the Jehovah Witness insisting that uh, they are uh, 144,000. Jesus is not really the son of God it, right. and he's going to be 144,000. Now what uh what we what we've what I've learned to do would be to bring these people in who've been attracted to us by by when uh, they come into our service and hear our evangelistic music right. and they like it. it. It 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 gives them a spiritual lift and all but then they hit the head on with this doctrinal problem. Uh, I had an old couple that were brethren, and uh, they started coming. They'd been baptized three times forward, each one of them. <laughs> They're a very wealthy old couple, and they got into our and They loved our kids. She'd been a t- teacher for 35 years, and when she came and saw our kids coming in on the buses, she just got thrilled. And she came and she said uh, Amos and I are so happy about what's doing what you're doing with these children, and we want to have a part. And she gave me a check for ten thousand dollars to wow. help with the bus ministry you know Amen. and so but then they said they wanted to join our church, and I brought them into my office, and I told them now now i could uh, I could get up and announce to our people that you are both Christians, you know the Lord, and no question about that, but that you have come to us from a brethren church. And they baptize different than we do. And I said, but we're going to take them in. And I said, we could do that. But everybody in my congregation would get a mental note that you're different than they are. Mm. And that is going to cause a, a philosophical difference. They're going to always hold you at arm's bay. You don't want that. We don't want that. I said, if you would come and say, we agree with your doctrinal position. And we are willing to let Pastor Wallace baptize us one time backward to picture death, burial, and resurrection. I said, then the folk would say, Hey, they're brethren, but they're just like they believe the same thing we do. I said, That's all I said, now how do you feel about it? They said, It would be no problem at all. (laughs) And so I graciously tell instead of telling them you're wrong about it. That's a false doctrine. You're a you're a heathen. (laughs) No, I I handled it with kids' love and they were delighted to go along. Now same thing with Church of Christ, they don't give in quite as easy, <laughs> but but you, you can take in alien baptism by having them to be baptized to identify with your doctrinal position. Right. And uh, now in the separation thing, with the music especially, you know, we were in a southern situation. Uh, we had a lot of people who wanted guitars and banjos, you know, and they wanted hillbilly music. And, <laughs> and then we had other folk with Bob Jones backgrounds, and they wanted operatic music. And so we, uh, we got them all together. Now, we told our teachers, all, all the deacons and everybody who had any kind of responsibility at all and had a big meeting in the conference room, and we draw on the bulletin board three lines. One was a line here with operatic music. And then one down here on the bottom was hillbilly music, and one in the middle was biblical music. And we said, now, now we have a lot of wonderful people here who like this. Right. And once in a while, we'll have somebody come in here who will sing that kind of music. Now, I don't want you hillbilly people saying, oh, no, no, no. I say, you, you say, well, that's okay. <laughs> now, if we get out the guitar some Sunday night and have a quartet, with a banjo and a guitar and a couple guys singing, we don't want you operatic people getting all upset. So now this is our position right here in the middle. Now you don't call it compromise. That's not what it is. Right. But we're going to we're going to have our music, and then once in a while we'll have a trio come in, and they'll get a little high pitched. So we'll have somebody come in from one of the colleges that'll go a little bit south. But that's not us. That's them. And that's not us. This is us. And that solved it. It took care of it for us. Wow. And, uh, and then we would, uh, you know, if it got to go in a little bit the wrong direction. Now, I had a pastor friend who built his church on hard line preaching. He preached like Oliver Green and Harold Seitler. Mm. And he built a great church on hard preaching. And he had two or 300 people come in every Sunday. And then he started allowing some guys to come in with some country music, mm. and uh, he was starting to draw a different crowd of people, and I called him, he was a good friend of mine, and I told him, I, I don't want to meddle, but I want to warn you, you're ah. doing something that's going to cost you, I'll be all right, I'll be all right, mm. so he told me to mind my own business, <laughs> and I did, <laughs> but in just a few months, the guy who headed up all of that took about a third of his congregation and went over and started another church based on music. Rather than on biblical doctrine, wow. and so if it's entertaining, and 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 fleshly type music, people are not going to grow, and we need to build the Bible Bible preaching and build the congregation on doctrinal truth, and then uh, let the music go, and then the same thing, with with separation. We told, we told the folks Sunday morning, I'm not going to ever preach on separation Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday night, we're going to be teaching and preaching our people how to be better Christians. On Wednesday night, we're going to be telling Sunday school teachers and workers, uh, here's where you've got to set a pattern, and an example, and we're going to bear down on separation. And this is not a matter of what you feel or what you like. This is a matter of a position right. that we've taken. And you have to agree with us on this before you teach and before you sing. And now you've got to go along with this, and so we were able to get that solved too. We helped. Now we have folks come in who, uh, you know, they they can't go along with the dress code, so they don't come back. Now we're not going to sac- we're not going to sacrifice our services for them. Okay. They uh, they they're after the wrong thing that we don't we don't offer that. It's not on our menu. Wow. <laughs>
2: I hope uh, you you heard that. There was so much wisdom with what was just said. The speaking the truth and love and helping that couple with baptism yeah, yeah. and and showing them this is our music. I call it classical Christianity. Correct. Classical Christian music, not classic uh classical music and not the hillbilly the southern gospel, but but true Christian just classic christian music yeah, yeah, that, that's true. right and it's heartfelt it's not trying to be operatic and in high church and i grew up with that and it's not trying to be the hillbilly and southern gospel and getting them to move and groove with it it's this is this and 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 if you are this type in the opera or this type in the hillbilly you can all put up with this because this is this is straight. It doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, the same thing even with, uh, with different uh, nationalities uh, or different styles, you know, um, different what they would call, you know, black music or whatever. If it's classical Christian music, just straight right Christian music, everybody's okay with that. It's yeah. when you get into the different flavors that people go, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. And um, what you told your people, and we may have a little of this, and a little of this. And that's okay. Yeah. This is what we are.
1: You know, we use the word a lot of times, uh, the difference between uh, pr- preference versus position. Right. I've had people come who wanted to know if I could perform their wedding ceremony for them. And I said, uh, personally, I think I probably could help you because I could sympathize with the fact that your partner committed a violation, committed adultery and broke the the vows and so forth. And they're out of the picture now. You're living a saintly, godly life, and you run into another saint. Personally, I probably could help you, but positionally, I'm forbidden to do it. Hmm. I said, if I did it, I've got a lot of people out there who are not going to agree with me on that, and there's going to be a barrier, and they're not going to listen to me preach after that. And so... I, I will always stand on positional circumstance rather than the preference uh, because uh, uh, I want to uh, be sure that I'm not going to allow anything I say or do to be a stumbling stone That's to somebody who's hurting. Amen. Uh, we're almost done. This has been a great interview. I appreciate you taking the time to do
2: this. Um, I wanted to say a couple of things one you've got books and you've got sermons and music and things like that is there a place online where they can go and get those things yes um, um
1: i have a web page com, and it lists all of these uh we have a thumb drives uh that has thirty thousand different sermons i've got that I've right gathered in that, of, that
0: drawer yeah
1: <laughs> and you put them on the computer and anytime you want to reach into your library on the computer You can pull out any subject like heaven or hell or grace or mercy. And uh, then uh, that would take about 1,200 books uh, to put on a library shelf where you'd have to build a house and library shelves. And you'd have to hire somebody to keep it all uh, organized. And then you'd have to buy the books. And that talks about thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And we make them available for $20. And then I have about 52 of my conference messages that we make available. And uh, those are some of what we call the uh, sermons that I preach to congregations all over America and around the world. I went to Mexico City not long ago and preached to 8,700 people on Thursday night. Wow! And I preached sermons to those people. like, And uh, we've recorded and did a professional job of recording 52 of them. And uh, those are audio rather than just uh, just on uh, on the screen, and so uh, I can listen to them going down the road in my car, mm-hmm. or I can listen to them on my computer, or I can listen to them on a smart television. So we have those. And then I have several books I've printed. Uh, uh, some I've printed 17 books altogether. We have about eight or nine right now that are still selling. We've sold out much, and because of my age, we're not printing big quantities anymore. Right. And we've cut the price in half price for some of the ones that I have stocked up uh, because we have a lot of quantity, and I'm running out of time. I need to get them into the hands of people, not leave them for my kids to try to decide what to do with them. Right. That's beautiful.
2: So, wallaceministries.com. Dot com. Wallaceministries.com. Go and get those things. Uh,
1: uh, They'll be a great help and a blessing. So, I... uh, You know, they may... uh, A person might not find what they're looking for. If you'd want to send me an email t h wallace at comcast.net that's t h wallace at comcast.net awesome
2: so if you have a question or want to have Brother Wallace to preach or if there's something else you're looking for, you could be a help with. Um, so I want to mention one book because I wanted to – I was going to start off with this. I thought I'd end it. But, um, you know, there are some people that uh, where they're from, they like to describe themselves from that place. Like Bill Clinton, you know, bragged about being from Hope, you know, Arkansas. And actually he was bringing Hope. I don't think he did bring much. But you were um, – where were you born,
1: um, Brother Wallace? Does that describe uh, where you're from? I was I was born in a little town called Odd. Odd? Odd, West Virginia. Uh, there, there was a bunch of men standing around at the post office there trying to decide what to name that town. And uh, somebody mentioned, this is an odd little place. It's like, that's it, that's it, right there. So, so it stuck. They have an odd elementary school that I went to, and then we have the odd uh, regular Baptist church there that I attended. Those are still there. Everything else is gone. The graveyard's still there. All my grandfathers and great-grandfathers are buried there. Uh, but it's an interesting place now. Not much going there now. That's thing
2: That's I wanted to mention that. So his autobiography book is called A Man from Oz.
1: That's been a bestseller. The Sword of the Lord printed that. And uh, they can't keep them. I go down there to buy a box of them, and they say, we're we're sold out. We're, we're going to have a new uh, a new uh edition out in about two weeks so i've had to do that several times and i've been so pleased with that that's good it is really good great stories and dr Wallace is a great storyteller
2: and a great writer to put those in into the book so last thing i wanted to mention um you're you have a great voice i that that uh, i'm sure you've been told that um did you ever work on that is that natural did you ever no, try it's just
1: the gift of god it is somebody said you sound like paul harvey <laughs> 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 he is such a pleasing boy and after about 35 or 40 people told me that somebody walked up and said uh, do you know who you sound like? And I was gonna tell them, but but before I could answer, they said, Herbert W. Armstrong. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> he had a great voice too, but he had a poison doctor. Yes.
2: <laughs> but anyway. One of uh, some preachers uh they had a normal voice and then they practiced their preacher voice and now they don't sound like they used to sound. So I don't know if you ever worked on that. Uh-huh. Um I, I uh-huh. don't, but boy, you have a, you have just a I had a
1: voice. speech class. At Tennessee Temple, you know, and I had to put my hand on the woman teacher's stomach while she went ho, 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 and she taught me, and I went through that. And When I went home, I was doing ho, 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 and the kids wanted to know, Daddy, what are you doing? But outside of that, I never had any voice lessons, oh, or, but it's uh, it's a gift, and it's been natural. And, uh, you know, in the summertime, I used to get a sore throat for about two weeks, hmm. And uh, I thought that would damage it, but it didn't. It got better and never had more trouble. And uh, I've never had my tonsils out. They wow. tried two or three times to get me, take them out, and it wouldn't do it. But wow. uh, it's now just you, God's uh, gift.
2: You recorded um, the New Testament on I that, did. You saw, uh-huh. Is that available?
1: I have can... the New Testament on uh, on a thumb drive. That's neat. Uh, we took it off of a CD because almost nobody's using CDs now. Right, right. Uh, but I do have it, and uh, we've. We've been able to get those out. Some fellas took them over to India and reproduced hundreds to give them away. Wow! And uh, wow, that's beautiful.
2: Um, any, uh, I've asked you a bunch of questions. Just last one, ending. Uh, is there any advice? Anything you'd like to say? Uh, a lot of preachers listen to this. And fundamental Christians. Any advice um, to those preachers? And I, to ask it this way, when they get to their 70, 80, 90, or you almost ninety-three, to still be believing the book. Preaching the faith, faithful. I love the word of Paul. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Boy, what a great statement to be able to say. I'm, I still feel like I'm a young preacher, but boy, I so, so desperately want to get to the end of this to be able to say that and have that in here. Of course, the Lord say, well done, the good and faithful servant. What advice would you give to have? Well,
1: I think this is a matter of getting the mind of the Lord about it because I believe God has a will. The saddest preachers I know are preachers who don't have a priest to preach. And I've got several, several, just a number of tremendous preachers who are not getting invitations. Mm. I've been greatly blessed because I've got a lot of publicity and advertisement. Uh, but uh, but I also have had a rule that I never go away from anything. I always go to something. And uh, whether I'm going to preach there or preach here or whether I'm going to accept that church or mm. teach that class or or accept that particular ministry, uh, and uh, uh, if I, I, I've always felt like the Lord does not lead me away, I've had numbers of preachers come and won't know if if I know of the church. I said, "What's wrong with the one you got?" <laughs> well, they said, "I got this problem and this problem." And I said, "It sounds to me like you're running away from problems." Wow. Uh, you not you not said anything about this congregation down here that you found that, and they're praying and pleading and begging God and crying, and you went down there and. And you got into it, and you began to pray and cry and pray. And, and you got such a vision and a burden. And down there, you haven't said anything about that. You just talked about some problems you're running away from. God's not leading you. You better stay there and solve them problems. And so so uh, when the Lord leads, he opens up a door, and he gives you a vision and a burden and a concern and an interest. And he won't let you off the hook. And you go where he tells you, and and that takes care of it. Now I've done that every time, and as a result, the Lord has just kept me busy. And for the last six or seven Sundays, I've been preaching around somewhere close, and uh, and this and and I next weekend I'm going up into Illinois and preach, and the following weekend I'm going to preach locally again, and uh, then I'm going to be teaching uh, a Zoom class uh, to. A congregation that is sending it out all over the world from British Columbia, Canada. Wow. And on Wednesday nights sometimes we preach to over a hundred preachers in Hyderabad, India mm. by Zoom. And so there's an open door there <laughs> to just do all kinds of things, you know. And wow. And I just I'm just having a great time. Ninety, Almost 93. Yeah. To do yeah, that. yeah. So, um, I
2: remember, uh, by the way, Dr. Wallace teaches. I've got
1: uh, got three invitations to preach on my 100th birthday. I don't know which ones to take. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's great. Uh,
1: Dr. Wallace uh, uh, has
2: taught a couple courses for us with Independent Baptist Online College. And I remember uh, going up to his house uh, in Murfreesboro and sitting down and showing him how it worked. And I was amazed. Uh, uh, I thought, okay, oh, just do this, just do this. Okay, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and he got it. And a I great have three,
1: uh, three courses on the online. Bible College. So Amen. somebody might be interested in checking those out. One's the House of Romans where they can mm-hmm. study through the back book of Romans. And then one is a matter of building a foundation under your ministry so that it doesn't collapse on you after you wow. get it going.
2: And then uh, you have one on soul winning.
1: Yes, I, I have. Guess. The soul winning is one of my favorites It's <laughs> because I've had such wonderful experiences. Amen. Beautiful.
2: Dr. Wallace, thank you again for uh, taking the time welcome. to do this. And I My pleasure. Taught Sunday school and preach Sunday morning and going to preach Sunday night. So uh, to do a, a fifty-minute interview um, asking uh, you all these questions, I sure appreciate that. We thank God for you and the ministry, and and um, I, I, as a quote, younger preacher, I wish that people would go back and listen more to men of your age and people who have passed away already and get that wisdom and realize to see the direction that so many churches and people are going is not good and it's right. not going to end up good. But glad, I love the optimism, all the place you go, you're seeing God do things and church is being started and growing and there are people that are still doing it and uh, a lot of times older guys are just down and negative on everything that's going on today and you're so excited to see God's, God's doing yeah. it. Oh, hey, amen. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Wallace. You're welcome.
0: Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com.